Father, this morning, we thank you, Lord, that you are in control and that your word is truth. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is a light unto our path. Father God, this morning we pray as we would come and we would consider this. That might be different for some people's understanding this morning. But I pray, the Father, that we as a people would be gracious and understanding and take time to listen. Because out of it all, Lord, when we approach your word, maybe from another angle, it's because we care. We care especially for East Point and for this flock and we want the best. So, Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to give us an understanding that you will enlighten us. And, Father God, we pray that you just bless us by being together as we would start to look at this this morning. And Father, we know we need to go home and think and pray and have you open our hearts. And we pray that, Father God, that, that Lord God, that we and all that we do in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Church, I can distinctly remember sitting as a very young teenager in my home church. And for those of you that were there in those days, remember those big old windows at the side where they had to use the rope to open up the top window. And it was a Sunday morning, and we used to have sometimes a lot of sunshine through um, those top windows. And it was one of those Sunday mornings where it was really, really sunny, and there was, a bit like this morning, there was beams coming down on people. I can see your face, some of your faces all lit up this morning. Colin, I'm nearly thinking you're under the Shekinah glory. Um, you know, you can just see that light. It's reflecting of your head, actually. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But I can remember, and I'm, you know, I remember that, and I remember, I can't remember if the pastor was preaching on this word or this word was just in my heart. And we're going to put the scripture up this morning. It's Galatians 3, 28. And this was the scripture that I was thinking on. And it says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And as a young teenage boy, I remember sitting in church that morning thinking, Lord, if that's the case, why is church so male-dominated? Why is it all about the men at the front and the men at the door? Ooh. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> was that already cracked? <laughs> 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 Yeah. Thanks, Con. <laughs> you know me too well. <laughs> but I can remember just thinking all of those things. But you know what it's like? This is the way we've always done it. It's always been like that. So you don't question it. You just get on with it. And you don't really, you just accept it. And then I went off to Bible college. And when I sat in those lecture rooms, I sat with some really wonderful women of God who were passionate about the Scripture. They were passionate to serve Jesus. They were passionate about the church. They were passionate to prepare people for works of ministry. And those questions started to ignite within me again about women and leadership within church. And there was always a sadness within me because these wonderful women of God could serve in Scotland and England and Wales, but they couldn't serve here in Ireland in the denomination that I was in at the time. 
And maybe you're thinking this morning, well, that's all well and good, Pastor. A lovely sentiment that you maybe are going to come across this morning as pro-women, that I am. But what about the Word? What does the Word say about women in leadership within the church? Especially when you look at this scripture. And we're going to read it this morning because it's probably the key scripture that if we can have an understanding of it, it probably would dispel the fear of some of our past traditions. So we're going to look at 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. And this is probably the hardest scripture for many people to get their heads around. And you know, we just have to respect for some people that is a difficult day. But I hope this morning that when I share this with you, you will see that there is another way of looking at this. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man, she must be quiet. Or as the King James Version says, to be silent. And some of you fellows are thinking we would be so lucky. (laughs) Do you know, one of my previous churches, I had a dear, dear, wonderful American brother called um, Ron Heckler. Big, big American guy. used to sit at the back of the church. And you always knew when you preached well because Ron would have let out this big, Amen, Pastor. Or you preach it, Pastor. That's what you would have got. I think he did it once (laughs) when I preached well. (laughs) Uh, But he was such an encouragement. And I just love to hear that big American accent. And there's a lovely story about about him that I'm going to tell you this morning. It's nothing to do with the sermon, but I want to tell you it anyway. And he eventually started to laugh at it himself. But when Ron first came over here from America, um, his sister-in-law, he went to his sister-in-law's house for dinner, and she baked potatoes. And of course, you know what some Americans can be like. And she put the baked potato down in front of him. This American guy just went, in America, we have baked potatoes this big. And Maisie came back with this amazing line. She says, over here, we grow them to fit our mouths. (laughs) (laughs) He did laugh eventually. (laughs) But you know, Ron was a Hebrew and a Greek scholar. And he spoke it fluently. And I remember him saying to me one day, he says, Stephen, when you read the Bible in English, He says, very much so you're reading it. It's like watching black and white TV. He says, but when you have a handle on the Greek and the Hebrew, and you start to read it in Hebrew and in Greek, he says, you really are starting to read it like watching a color TV. So much more comes alive when you have that understanding. And for many of us, we would love to have that understanding and a greater understanding. I was hopeless at languages at school. In fact, I used to think my French teacher used to pick on me to make me read out of the French book just to give everybody else a laugh in the, the class, honestly. And when it came to doing Greek and Hebrew at Bible college, I did it for the first wee while and then I dropped out, not because I didn't understand it, but because our lecturer would make us try to speak it. I could hardly speak English never mind doing the Greek and the Hebrew. So therefore, it wasn't my forte. But thank goodness for what we have today and the lexicons and all of those things that we can go and we can look up. But friends, if we were to take this scripture literal, okay, and take it from what the King James says, all you women have to be silent in church. Corinthians would teach us the same thing, that a woman should be silent in church if we are to take the literal meaning of what that scripture says. But I want to say this, especially for us 
who have a belief that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today, we then have been doing things wrong for a long, long time. Because we took what Joel said and was taught to us again by Paul in the book of Acts, Acts 2 and 17. We took what he said that there was a change. Because the prophet Joel prophesied and Peter said on the day of Pentecost, in the last days, God will say, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. And in our heritage, over the years, we have allowed women to stand in church and women to prophesy and to speak out within our services. Women are to be silent in church, and yet we allow women to prophesy. The, the scholar Thomas Greiner says this, Women function as prophets, prophets, and such as ministry is just as authoritative as teaching. Women possess all the spiritual gifts, and this includes the gifts of teaching and leadership. Indeed, there is evidence in the New Testament that women held the offices of deacon and elder, and he even thinks maybe apostle. So a bit different. And we're going to look at some of those evidence later on this morning, but the best way for us to look at this text is not just in the English and the black and white. I want you to come with me this morning, and I want us to look at it in color. I want us to see it this morning in the language of the day. I want us to look at the Greek to see what some of that means. And then as the exegesis, we want to interpret it, interpret the text that way. And we're going to take into consideration this morning the context and the culture of the day as well, as we look at this scripture. In fact, I was really encouraged this week for two different people rang me. And it was great to see the people were already going to study the Greek and to look at it. And two people rang me this week and came back to me once saying this. Did you know that there is the female version for elder as well as the female version for bishop within the New Testament? And the other person came back and or come to me and said to me, did you know that there is the female version of elder and scripture as well? It's not just the male version now here's the context and this is i think we need to get a full picture of what paul was speaking into in this day through his servant timothy or the letter that he was writing to timothy he was writing to ephesus and to asia and ephesus in asia minor was an area that was very dominated by female deity most of that region it wasn't male gods it was all female gods the people were worshiping and there was one particular one called Artemis. People in, um, declared in 163 AD that Artemis was the leader of their city. And that she, in fact, had made the city of Ephesus. Harsley, he actually comments in this time that most, uh, something that would have been said of this goddess, the most illustrious of all cities through her own divine nature and that temples have been founded for her and altars dedicated to her because of her visible manifestation affected by her. The people in that society knew all about these high priestess, these women. In fact, there were many people, both men and women, who would serve in these temples and worship these female gods. It was a very female-dominated society. 
And within this society, there was even men that would go so far, and we think that there's nothing new under the sun. It is true, there is nothing true under the sun, but people would actually change their sex. Men would change their sex to female just to please this God. It was such a prevalent thing within the society of today. And that type of female-focused society would have had a big impact on the people and even in the people of the church in the day. You can understand then why maybe Paul seems to be coming over so harshly and so hard on this church about women and leadership within this place. Me personally, I think he was readdressing an imbalance. That it wasn't, as we're going to see in a minute or two as well, that it wasn't for all churches, but it was specifically for that church that he was talking to in that day and in that place. Now let's go to the exegesis of this passage. And let's see First Timothy 2 and 11 and 12. And let's break up some of these things that we see within the passage. Verse 11 starts with a reference that women should learn in quietness. Now, that's what the Bible says. You'll see that in your own um, version of the Bible if you read the NIV. That women should learn in quietness and full submission. As I say that the... KGV, or the, the King James Version, will use the, the word silent. That women should be silent as they learn. Um, there's a Greek word for that, which is hesukia. Okay? And I think we'll have it up on the screen there. And I hope I pronounced that right. But I want to say what Keener says about that. It could be interpreted as the same sort of silence that was imposed on women in many other religious contexts prevalent in Paul's day. But equally... It could be interpreted as a direction given to new learners to have a spirit of quiet submission that would have been appropriate for a novice in the first century. And even today we see in some other religions, like Islam, where women are taught to be quiet and submissive and all those things. But here we're saying that from that Greek word, that there actually could be another understanding, that it could be that they're given a direction to learn in quiet submission. Because if you look at what the chapter's actually saying, it's actually about learning. And here he's encouraging these people to learn with a quiet demeanor. Mount says this, several considerations favor, um, considerations favor the transition, or translation, quiet demeanor. They should learn in a quiet demeanor, not that they should be silent. Keener also says the word used for silence normally refers to respectful attention or a quiet demeanor. Scriner again, most scholars today argue that the word does not actually mean silence here, but refers to a quiet demeanor and spirit that is peaceable instead of argumentative. In fact, do you know in Corinthians where it says a woman should be silent in church, what they think happened there was this. The early church was very set out, very much like the synagogue. The female sat on one side, the male sat on the other side. And what they think happened there was this, that some of the women, because remember, they were coming out of Judaism, and everything was so different and very, very different for them from, from what their faith was before, that what was happening in those services were that the women were calling over to their husbands and saying, well, what's he on about? Or what does that mean? And Paul was saying, be silent. Talk about it when you get home. Don't disrupt the meetings that way. He wasn't saying women couldn't speak in church. But at that point, they were 
to be silent and talk to their husbands later on. If it's to be accepted that it is a reference to learning in a peaceful and quiet way, then it can't be used as a reaction that all women in all ages must be quiet in church, but rather as an instruction that all people, including women, should learn in a quiet, non-argumentative way that is conducive to godly instruction. I think there's wisdom there, isn't there? (laughs) That we learn in a non-argumentative way, that we learn in a way that is conducive to godly instruction. In some ways, the submissiveness reference at the end of verse 11 is proposed working out of learning and quietness. In relation to submissiveness, it is correct to think that if a godly, it is a godly attribute to command there in a submissive way the leaders of that day. Now, verse 12 starts off by saying, I do not permit women to teach. Well, look at the wording. I do not permit women to teach. Some scholars say this. I permit is arguably a personal opinion as distinguished from a formal apostolic instruction. Mount says this, which I think is very important. Some feel that Paul uses the I represents his personal opinion and not a binding judgment. If you make a comparison to 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul actually differentiates between the change and he says about, you know, he's talking about not I, but the Lord, that there's a difference between what he was saying as a person and what the Lord was bringing as a directive. Life field. Theologically, it may be significant to observe that the Holy Spirit could have led Paul to use an imperative construction that might be interpreted as being to, or to binding to the church to follow the practice of all time, but instead led Paul to use a construction that described his practice without making it permanently binding. In other words, what that's saying is Paul could have come straight across and just used language that people would not have been in doubt that it was a directive from God saying that women should not teach. But he was saying, I'm saying, and I think it was because of the area that he was then readdressing a, a very male domi- or female-dominated society, he was bringing that al- balance to that as well. Are you still with me? I haven't lost you up to now. Some of you look like you're still breathing anyway. That's, that's good. One look at another um, word within um, chapter or verse 12. It's a Greek word, authentitime, okay? Or there could be the verb authentio, which scholars have had a lot of discussion around over the years. It's that word authority. Women should not have authority within the church. Now, here's the thing. The word that Paul is using here is only ever used once in the Bible. And there's a bit of debate actually within the Greek scholars, about the actual real meaning of that word. And if Paul was sort of just talking about, you know, the down the line right way of authority, why did he not use the other main word that people would have got and understood about authority? And we'll see that in a wee minute. Scholar says, traditionally, this word has been understood to connote um, a sense of to domineer or to absurd authority, and the term is even associated with murder. Paul was trying to make a difference and point out a difference, and that's why he used a rarely used word. It wasn't just ordinary authority about having authority over men, but he's saying actually this is about women domineering 
having a domineering spirit over men. Not that women could teach over men, but they couldn't teach with a domineering spirit over men. Because he could have used another Greek word, which is going to come up here on the screen as well, which was the ordinary Greek word. I'm not even going to try and say it, actually. There you go. There's it in black and white, okay? And that was the ordinary word of the day that would have meant authority. But he chose to use this other word, and it seems to be this other word is speaking to us more about not domineering or having a domineering attitude over people. And we actually see that in some of the English versions of the Bible today. If you were to go and look at some translations, you'll see that some say, like the NIV, to have a 30 over, but there's other versions that say have a dominion over. There is one that says to domineer over. There is others that says to tell a man what to do, to have authority, domineer over someone, or to control in a domineering manner. I'm not so sure Paul was saying that it was wrong for a woman to teach. I think what Paul was saying, it was wrong for a woman to have a domineering spirit over a man as she taught. And remember the context from that period of time where it was such a female-dominated worship system. And these people are coming into this and they're bound to bring some of their old stuff with them. Paul was saying you cannot domineer as you teach. As can be expected, scholars have focused on the different interpretation of the Greek word authentio, with the focus often upon the text, and it's often brung around disagreement. But could Paul be really saying that women are allowed to teach in the Ephesian church, but in a certain manner and under certain restrictions? Kerner says this, we could thus read Paul's phrase as I'm not allowing women to teach in such a way to domineer over men. And I think that's what is being said here. It's not that women cannot teach, but they should not domineer. Keener suggests that women were teaching in Ephesus, who may have even had some authority, were not the issue that Paul was referring to, but rather that the attitude of being domineering over men was basically the, the reason for this one prohibition. This basically said that he would not permit this within this church that he's talking about. But what does that relate to us today? Well, let me read you some other wee quotes from some other theologians of our day. Schooler says this, It holds a view that the instructions were ad hoc, and therefore only for the given circumstance in Ephesus during Timothy's leadership period and should not be a universal principle, limiting women for all time and in all places. He qualifies this by adding that the instructions were directed against women who had succumbed to the false teaching in Ephesus and then abused what should have been a normal opportunity available for them. What was going on also in Ephesus was this. When we think of the church in Ephesus, we think of a church like ours. But what really Ephesus was, was a spread out area and a lot of house churches in it. And each of those house churches had elders over them. But some of those elders were breaking rank with the teaching that Paul had given them. Some of the other false teaching that we read in Scripture, they were infiltrating the church with this. So therefore, there was women in the church that were picking this up too. Talks about even the young widows. And what they were doing, they were going from home to home. 
and not engaging with the, what the apostles were teaching them, but they were making up the stuff as they went along or bringing in some of the negative stuff of their past. And it was causing confusion. And that's why Paul was trying to address this, to realign it, to get the people thinking the way the apostle wanted the word of God to be taught. Keener says this, he agrees and adds, since the passage is related so closely to the situation Timothy was confronting in Ephesus, we should not use it as the absence of the other text to prove that Paul meant it universally. He concludes by suggesting that women, if adequately trained, are allowed to teach and reports that Paul, others writing, leave matter, that, that matter in little doubt. And we're going to look at that as well this morning. Scriner. In reference to the passage in 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 14 concerning women in ministry determines that the fact that women could prophesy which it is claimed cannot be distinguished from authoritative teaching and that Priscilla engaged in teaching shows that the prohibitions in these two passages are not absolute but they're speaking into an individual situation and not for the whole church. Do you get where I'm coming from in that church? A few wee nodding heads this morning, we're okay with that? Okay. But there is lots of biblical evidence that women did lead in church or led throughout Scripture. What about Deborah in Judges 4 and 5? A prophet, a judge, and a military leader. God sovereignly calls her and gives her authority over men. Now I know that there's some people will say, but that was just because there was no man that would step up to the mark. But the Bible doesn't say that. There's nowhere in Scripture that it relates to that at all. Who don't? The prophet asks. In 2 Kings 22, 13 and 30, Josiah does not send to Jeremiah or Zephaniah, but to a woman to make the pronouncement on the book found in the temple. And her word was found to be authoritarian, author, authoritative even. Not authoritarian, authoritative, slip of the tongue. What about the Gospels? And what about Jesus? Well, when you should be smiling this morning in the church. Listen to some of these things. Jesus taught women. Now, you see, in Paul's day, women were not taught. What the rabbis would say this, it was better to burn the law than to teach women. So if we were living back in Jesus' day, these women would not have been taught anything. It was better to burn the law than to teach the women. But we find how Jesus was bringing in with the start of what the, the prophet Joel was saying. We see Mary sitting at his feet and drinking in and learning from the Lord Jesus. What about the woman of Samaria? She was the first evangelist. She took a role, a leadership role of evangelism and went in and she told people to come and meet a man that knew everything about her. What about Mary at the tomb? And John 20, the first people to see Jesus was, was a woman. And however, in those days, a woman's testimony in a law of court did not stand. But Jesus revealed himself firstly to a woman. You see, Jesus was continually lifting the dignity of a woman within the church. If you look at Romans 16 and 1, you'll find that Phoebe was a deacon within the church. Junia in Romans 8 or 16 and 7 is a, f a feminine name and she was, and this is where one of the first quotes that I gave you, she was, Scholar had said that he thinks she was an apostle. That could be open to debate 
But the reality of it is, she was mentioned among the apostles as someone who was in a leadership role. If you go to Romans 16 and read down, you'll also read four other ladies, all who worked hard in the work of God. Nympha led at least a house church in Colossians 4 and 15. Do you remember those two ladies that um, we talked about a few weeks ago? Esther talked about from Philippians 4, who I'm sure Paul wanted to knock their heads together. There was two ladies who seemed to be at odds with each other and were fighting. And Paul said, we just come together. Come together and have one mind. And he said this, we need to have one mind of Christ, that the goal is greater than what you are arguing about today. Keep the goal in mind. Come with one heart and one mind to the work of God. These two ladies, even though he was a wee bit annoyed with them and probably wanted to knock their heads together, he actually said that they were co-workers with him in the gospel. Not that they were underneath him, but they were co-workers, just as we're joint heirs with the Father, the Son. They were co-workers with what he was doing. What about Second John? The elect lady in Second John, a church leader who exercised gifts of ministry within the New Testament church. There we see, our friends, that there are so many examples within Scripture of women serving and being in leadership within church. Now, some folk, as they look at the verse, Second Timothy 13 and 15, will want to basically um, go down the route of creation order. Now, I... We really don't have time this morning because there's a time gone already. We don't have a lot of time to go in this, but let me just provoke you to think in these things. 1 Corinthians 11, we read about how the man is the head of the woman. But again, we need to look, church, at this in color and not black and white. The Greek word here for this, being the head, is the word kephala. Okay? which is also, and I think it should be interpreted in English, not as head, but source. I think it meant like the head of a river, not head as an authority, but the source. Christ, God is the source of Christ. Christ is the source of the church. And we are the source of the woman. It's a giving out of ourselves, not a domineering of authoritarianism, but it's giving out of ourselves and lots of biblical scholars would say that that is the meaning it's the source or it is the origin for the woman but i want you to notice some things just before the fall before sin came into the world and the order of men and women and all of creation look at genesis 1 26 and 28 i believe men and women were created equal in the garden before sin entered our world, men and women were created equal to bear the same divine imprint of God before the fall. God gave them together identical responsibility and joint authority. Listen to this. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over everything. In other words, he was saying to both the man and the woman, have authority over everything. It wasn't just to the man, it was to the both of them. Have authority over everything. Things changed, but when sin entered the world. And here's a question that I want to pose to you, church, this morning is this. Especially to you ladies in the house. 
when you repented of your sin and you gave your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and became a follower of Christ, were you only partially restored to what God wanted to make you before the fall? Or do you still have to live under the restrictions of the law? To remember in the Old Testament there were certain people that couldn't go any further into the temple, women included, but God lifted that restriction. And I think today it is the same. I think today that we need to have that understanding as we look at these scriptures in another way that God calls men and women to lead the family of God. Now on a practical note, and maybe we have an illustration, most of you know that I have a great respect for Philip Emerson who came, if you remember, in September last year he came and um, did our, our, our launch Sunday with us. Um, I think he's an amazing guy. And um, I've had a coffee with him a few times and, and one of our coffees I had a chat with him because he came from a very unique background from where he is today. And I remember saying to him, Phil, how did you do that whole turnaround? From somebody who did not believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and thought that they stopped with the last apostle and that there's no more giftings, to now being someone that is so open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, who uses the gifts of the Holy Spirit and encourages his church to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How did you do that full thing? But I said, then what surprised me even more because of your background, how on earth did you get women elders in your church coming from the background that he came? And he said this to me. And I know he, like myself, would have studied these scriptures to make sure it was a biblical thing and not just a feeling. But he said this to me, and I thought this was great. As you know, when he shared in his testimony, Phil lost his first wife. And at that time, he was bringing up his kids in the house alone. And he says, one day it hit me. He says, I struggled to bring up my kids without the influence of a mother. He says, why am I doing church without the influence of mothers in the house? We need mothers and fathers to lead the house. But church, maybe you're asking this morning, well, pastor, what's your motive? Why are we teaching in this and why are we looking at this? What's your motive, pastor, and all of this? Well, I want to share three things with you this morning. I wholeheartedly believe in women in leadership. And here's why. I think we've done an injustice to the word. For years, I have respected those people who have believed that I worked under those constraints myself with respect for people, even though I struggled with them. But I think in this day and age, with the understanding of the Greek, remember the color rather than the black and white, that we can see things differently. And therefore, I think we can rightly divide God's word of truth and see it in a whole different light for our good. Secondly, I want to be honorable to you in this house. I want you to have the best, giving you both mothers and fathers in the house that can look after us and care for us as a church family. Thirdly, I want to release some of the ladies of this house who are carrying an anointing of God to become co-workers as we labor together. Do you know, friends, over the years of ministry, I have watched anointed women of God who have had an amazing gifting in teaching and in leadership being sidelined. 
Not even so much to do with God's word, but oftentimes because of a constitution that said that they couldn't do it. And I think that is such a shame. I want people who are called with an anointing, whether they're male or whether they're female, to walk in everything that God has for them and their lives. I think we've been quite hypocritical in church. We have sent women to the mission field. And when they're in the mission field, they're allowed to lead and to teach and they're allowed to do every role a man would do here in the United Kingdom. And then when they come on furlough, they're not allowed to do it. Does that mean the people over there are less important than people here? Why is that? And yet for years, that's not been a problem. They can do it in Africa. They can do it in Tanzania. They can do it in Egypt. But they can't do it here. And yet they hold the highest position and leaderships and churches that are bringing church to there. We encourage women to teach our children. Even though the Bible, if we take it literally, says a woman should not teach. And yet many of us in this room sat at the feet of a woman in Sunday school as they taught us the word of God. So are children less valuable to God than we are as adults? And in fact, if we really think about it, many of us were saved under the age of 18. And thank God for the women that taught us and preached the gospel to us that brought us into the kingdom of God. I think we need to look at those things. But church, that is my heart. And that's the way I want us to go as a church together. Now, I'm going to say this again this morning. Once again, I know some of you will think different from me. That's okay. For years, I have respected your view on the matter and worked alongside you. And I would ask you to respect my view on the matter as well. Don't fall out with me. Don't have an argument with me. We just may have to agree to disagree. But that's how I see scripture. I see it in color that way. And I see the benefit for us as a church also. But if you are struggling, if it is a bit different, look, invite me out for coffee. And we'll sit together and we'll go through it. I can give you some more notes on it. I can you know, share some more of my heart for you in that as well. But I want to read this to you, something that we looked at a wee minute ago, just as we bring this to a close. And again, it was on the reference to verse 12 about women being submissive and women not to teach in church. And it said this, it is to be accepted that it is a reference to learning in a peaceful, quiet way then it can't be used as a direction that all women in all ages be quiet in church, but rather as an instruction that all people, including women, should learn in a quiet, non-argumentative way that is conducive to godly instruction. And I think we can all take a wee lesson out of that. Sometimes, friends, we won't always agree, but let's do it in a gracious manner. Can we pray? Father, this morning, I do pray that, Lord, that we will be open to your word. That we'll be open to learn. And Father, that's not to say that we haven't. But Lord, I just pray that when something comes across our path theologically that is maybe different from what we've heard before, that, Lord, we would do the wisdom here. That we would be quietly respectful non-argumentative 
and that we would listen and learn. Father, the outcome may be different for each of us and we differently may hold our own. But let's do it in a gracious way, Father. Father, I just pray as we move on as church that, Lord, that those that you've called and anointed would be free to serve. Free to serve with a genuine heart for the benefit of all. Lord, thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you for breaking into our worship this morning and for loving us so much. We bless you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Let's stand and worship.